if you're just going to rely on the low voltage cutout, then there's a few hundred dollars that you don't have to spend, plus wiring and fuses and all those sorts of things. You can pretty much just plug it in and away you go. Welcome to the Family Travel Podcast by A Big Peachy Adventure, where we help families plan their adventures, whether it's for a week, indefinite, or anywhere in between. No matter what your budget, we bring you hints and tips from the experts, inspirational stories of families who are living their dreams, as well as must highlights from places that we and our guests visit. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Family Travel Podcast by Big Peachy Adventure. You're joined today by Michael and Natalie, and we are speaking to you from a place called Gregory Downs, which you probably have not heard of. We hadn't either until um, we pulled into the free camp here a couple of days ago, and we're in heaven. It's a very, very beautiful spot. The free camp is unreal. Um, There's a beautiful stream that runs through, Um, so we've spent our days swimming and just sitting by it, and it's been wonderful. One thing about Gregory Downs is that it is also in the middle of nowhere, so there's no supermarkets and there's no fresh food available. When we were planning um, on heading across the Savannah Way and making our way towards Darwin, we were told that um, fresh fruit and vegetables are hard to come by. So we did a big stock up in Cairns, and it's thanks to the help from um, the episode today that Michael very cleverly installed a car fridge. So we'd purchased a fridge for the back of the car a while ago, and to be honest, it has been a big and cumbersome paperweight for a long time, well, since Old Bar in New South Wales. So this interview with Jason from Offroad Living, www.offroadliving.com.au, was quite timely. Now, I was told that the fridge I bought had a low voltage cutout, so you could apparently just plug it straight into the cigarette lighter and it'd never make your battery go flat and everything would be okay. Uh, But I was also aware that other people had a second battery setup, whether that was wired in um, with the car or as a standalone system just plugged into solar. So... This episode was really critical in helping me identify what was the best setup for us based on the type of caravanning and camping we were doing. And that's just Eddie there saying hello. So this episode, I can honestly say, saved us a lot of dollars and a lot of heartache. And I think Michael is also very, very proud of himself. Um, he listened to the advice from Jason. He took himself off to, to buy all the bits and pieces, then spent a day very diligently with YouTube as a guide as well, fitting the car fridge into the back of the car and setting up all the wiring and everything for that. So I'm very impressed with what he did. It's because of that that we've um, got a wonderful car fridge stocked with fresh fruit and vegetables and uh cold beers that we won't run out of. And and I guess one of the other things as well is I think this episode isn't just for someone who's looking at putting in a car fridge. This episode, we dig into so much about best practices to do with anything related to 12 volt and vehicle setups, uh, as well as the mistakes that people commonly make. So whether or not you're planning on installing a car fridge, or you already have an existing setup, this is actually worth listening to to get a good idea of how it should be done. So without further ado, here is Jason from Off-Road Living. Jason, welcome to the Family Travel Podcast. How are you? Uh, pleasure to be with you. 
So, Jason, can you just start off a little bit and just tell us how you got involved in all things 12 volt? Sure. Um, I guess uh, me and my wife, Kathleen, um, we've uh, been campers and four drivers for uh, many decades, I guess. Started out camping when we were very young with the family, I guess, and you know, school holidays and camping holidays, family holidays. It was always, it was always away camping. It was never uh, get on a plane and go and live in a fancy hotel. Camping was our thing, and that, that's what we really loved. You know, moving on a few years uh, to getting to the age of having been able to get your own car and own four-wheel drive and being able to go camping together and sort of uh, our love of, of, of camping and four-wheel driving expanded from there. And I guess over the years, as we uh, as we got sort of more experience with it and, you know, we ventured further out into sort of more remote areas and found that, um, that that's the kind of things that we like to do. So, you know, go out bush for two or three or four weeks at a time and live off-grid and what we found as we started to do that, that the, the quality of the goods that we had for, you know, keeping us going for fridges and um, keeping food cold and power and those sorts of things, we thought we had pretty good products until uh, you get out in the middle of nowhere and you, you really need to rely on them and all it takes is for a, a couple of substandard uh, things within your system to, to let you down and it can it can really ruin your whole trip. Um, we had a couple of trips out of the Bilbunya Dunes, uh, Eastern Esperance, a couple of years back where we had, uh, you know, batteries and solar products that, that failed, you know, 12 hours drive out in the middle of nowhere. And unfortunately, uh, that, that spoiled a trip. Ended up with a broken ankle in the middle of that, trying to fix up a few things, but that's probably a discussion for another day. <laughs> and I guess after a few of those things, we, we sat down and we thought, you know, there's got to be a better way. Um, we um, and some of these things, you know, let, let down by premium brands that promised the world but didn't quite deliver. And we thought, you know, maybe we we could do it, things a little bit better and a little bit uh, more reliable in a few areas where where it was lacking in the market. And that's sort of, I guess we we got started from there with our business. Yeah, we sort of grew from there and decided to see if we could do it better than some of the others on the market. And I guess one of the things that attracted me to you guys at Off-Road Living there was the advice that you give to people who, you know, want to look at integrating all the different products and, and are getting started and all of that. Now, I've just recently bought a fridge. I won't talk about the brand or anything there, but it does have a low-voltage cutout built into it. Uh, I haven't wired that in yet or, you know, or haven't got anyone else to wire it in yet for me, I should say. If someone was getting started with 12-volt setups in the car uh, and they're choosing between, you know, a system that's, you know, built in or integrated versus having, you know, a standalone system, what are some of the considerations that someone should look at before they touch 12-volt in their car? Yeah, I think one of the one of the first questions you really need to ask is how often do I want to use this device, whether it's a fridge or whether it's a some other product that you you've got that you're going to put in your car how often do I want to go forward driving or camping or how if I do camp is it just an overnighter or is it going to be you know long weekend type trips or am I somebody that wants to go camping for long periods of time the the answer to that will really determine how far you really need to go with your system if if you're somebody that's really only going to camp you know uh, one one day over the weekend and you know you're going to drive around a little bit and pack up the next morning and, and go home then you really don't need to go to the expense of dual battery systems and, you know, expensive additional cabling and all the protection systems that go with that. Um, you can get away with just running that off your off your starting battery and use the low voltage cutouts on your fridges um, 
to make sure you still got um, enough power in your battery in the morning to start the car. If you if you want to go for longer periods of time, and then you need to determine whether you need batteries or whether you need solar or whether you're going to drive to charge or those sorts of things. So yes, when we go through that with people, we sort of sit down and ask those questions. We work through what you want to do, how you want to do it, what appliances you want to run or charge or whatever, and um, and that comes up with a recommendation of what the battery system looks like, uh, what the solar system might look like, and we sort of take it from there with a, a customised approach to, to each person's uh, way of camping. No two people are going to be the sister uh, the same. No two people camp the same, and you know every system is going to be different. And it needs to be customised accordingly. Now you mentioned there about you know if you're the sort of person who goes away for a day here and there, that having the fridge with your low voltage cut out probably uh, won't be too much of an issue. Um, we're not like that, so it sounds like that's not not for us. Uh, but yeah. just out of interest, what are the what are the pros and cons of having um, your fridge just you know hardwired into your car battery and relying on that low voltage cutout? Well, I guess one of the main positives is cost. Um, you've got the cost of a you know an average size. If you said a hundred amp hour you know AGM battery, for example, um, ranging from you know two fifty to four hundred fifty dollars somewhere in that sort of ballpark. Um, if you're just going to rely on the low voltage cutout, then there's a few hundred dollars that you don't have to spend, plus wiring yeah. and fuses and all those sorts of things. You can pretty much just plug it into the SIG socket and uh, away you go. That's one very quick benefit. Plus, you know, a battery of that sort of size it weighs, you know, 28 to 30 odd kilos. Um, so there's a weight factor that comes with with that. And with all the stuff that we've got kids, there's so much stuff that gets piled into the vehicle already. Having another thirty kilos is something you could do without if you're only going overnight. Yeah, that makes sense. And how reliable are the low voltage cutouts? Do they they truly always cut out and make sure that you've still got a decent battery to start up in the morning? Uh, do they degrade the battery life, or are they, are they good to go if you're only using them occasionally? Yeah, look, they are pretty reliable. On most of the you know the the known brands, they, they these days they do have a you know high, medium, and low on on most, not all, but most. And you can set them depending on, you know, how much uh, you want to really look after your battery. So depending on, um, you know, if you put it on high value, it'll have more battery power left for you in the morning. So that's something to keep in mind. Starting batteries or cranking batteries really aren't designed for, um, you know, regular deep drawdown of, of power. So whilst it's something that you can do every now and then, it's not something you want to do on a regular basis if you were going to be doing it every week. And even if it was only for an overnighter or, a, you know, a day and a bit, um, if you were to do it regularly, you'd still want to go to a second battery. Um, it's really going to be there for the people who are only going to do it once a month or a couple of times a year um, that you could, you would want to do that. After that, you'd want to invest in the second battery. Based on just what you've said there, it definitely sounds like we need a second battery. So if we're considering putting in a second battery, uh, what are the pros and cons of having, you know, the second battery wired into your existing electrical system so it's all connected versus having it so it's a complete standalone circuit and charging it by secondary mains like solar or something? Sure. Um, I guess with with second batteries, if, if you, we're talking about just in a four-wheel drive, a sort of similar um uh, approach can be taken with towed vehicles, whether it's camper trailers or caravans as well. But if we take a, a four-wheel drive as an example and put a second battery either in the engine bay or in the in the rear of the car, adding a an alternative charging source, whether it's from solar or whether it's using the alternator, it's important that you have them sized correctly. 
you don't want to be in a scenario where you've got a battery that you're going to draw down with a with a fridge or whatever, but you don't have the ability to actually keep it charged. So you either really need to have uh, charging from the alternator if you're going to be somebody who's going to drive quite a bit, you know, on a regular basis, either either most days or every couple of days. But if you're going to go and park up for two or three days at a time, then you really uh, solar is going to be your best bet. If you've got somewhere in between, you drive a bit, you park up a bit. Um, that's where sort of DC DC charges come in, where you you can have your your alternator coming in um, with a with an input for your solar as well, and um, it can charge from both sources. One thing that's important to keep in mind with with charging from an alternator is most alternators, be it current generation, whether it's a you know a new sort of style with a the smart uh, alternator, which uh, smart for looking after your car but they're not smart when it comes to looking after a uh, you know like an AGM battery for example um, they don't provide the voltage that you really need to keep your um, deep cycle batteries um, charged at the correct voltage uh, a smart alternator might put out about 13.8 volts whereas an AGM needs about 14.4 to 14.6 depending on the brand Output from the alternator really is only getting your battery to about 80, 85% all the time. Um, and without a DC-DC charger, which converts the, the the volts and amps that it receives to the correct profile, you'll never get it topped up to where you really need it to be. On the flip side, where you, if you're going to be parked up, then, you know, solar inputs um, for, for multiple days. You know, having a good good quality solar controller, you know, select the correct battery type and that, that will keep your battery charged. Okay, so pretty much sounds then if you're you know someone like me who's on the road full-time um yep. you know we were recently at workman's beach near agnes waters 1770 there were some people there who literally pulled up there and were there for weeks at a time so for yep. that sort of setup having a standalone system uh where the main input is solar would work for them but if you're like us who you know we pull up somewhere we're there for two three days um, sometimes not even that, and we're driving quite a bit, we may be yep. better to consider using the car's alternator but making sure we've got a DC-DC charger so we can get the charge out of that effectively to top up the battery. Does that sound about right? Yeah, absolutely right. The The DC-DC charger will, for most for most alternators, it's variable depending on the make and model of the vehicle, but uh, on average most, most alternators will be able to provide about 20 to 30 amps of um, charge current and at that at that sort of 13.8 13.9 volts um what that'll do is it'll ramp down the amps ramp up the volts to the correct voltage um for your selected battery whether it's agm or gel or a flooded battery or lithium or whatever it is charge that at the right profile and that that gives you your bulk of your charging keeps it at 100 percent, so that when you do park up you're not starting at 80 you're 85 percent. you're starting at 100 percent. and then if you do park up for a couple of days that's when you can plug your solar into to keep you topped up until you hit the road again. Oh, that that makes uh, complete sense. And I think uh, just understanding that could save, I know me personally, but a lot of people heartache and spending money unnecessarily and getting the wrong setup. So just on that, what would you know be the biggest mistakes that you see people make with their setups? The charging is one of the big things. Buy a 100-amp-hour battery and you expect to get 100-amp-hours out of it, but in reality, with all that added batteries, you... If you want to get longevity out of your battery, you really should only be drawing them down around about that 50% mark. That's the general sort of rule of thumb. Yep. Um, and if you're if you're only using your alternator to charge, then and you're only getting it at 85%, well, 
you know, 85% down to 50%, well, you're really only getting 35 amp hours out of what what's a 100 amp hour battery uh, in total. So that's one of the big, big challenges for a lot of people is, is, is understanding what this expensive piece of electronics that, you know, sits in the engine bay is going to do for me because for most people who don't understand it, and, and don't really need to understand it other than, you know, if you're going to be on the road on, you know, and using it more than a couple of days at a time, it's important to have that for longevity of your battery. One of the other uh, big problem areas I come across all the time is uh, is around uh, circuit protection. You see so many systems where people have run cables that are generally too small for the loads that they're running, either either for the current draw that they're going to have or too long a cable and getting excessive voltage drop over the length of the cable. But the big problem is the fact that they don't have any circuit protection. So there's no fuses, there's no circuit breakers, there's just a cable run from a battery to another battery and you've got two massive sources of power and all it takes is for one cable to, you know, to rub or to be damaged and start uh, contacting a metal surface and, you know, you've got a very large source of power that can very easily create a fire and you know you can burn your car to the ground it could you know put your your family at risk and it's 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 such cheap protection to put fuses or circuit breakers in but um see so many uh systems that really don't have that in place and um it's a it's a, a big problem just waiting to happen they're the, the two real key sort of problems i see day after day after day that are you know quite easily fixed so you'd recommend um, having yeah. um you know a fuse uh on pretty much every positive cable yeah that's right and if you're running it between two power sources so if, you, if you're just going from a battery to a an appliance for example so a battery to a fridge you put a, a fuse in the positive uh, cable from you know as close to the battery as you can um, if you're going from a battery to a battery you actually want it to be fused at both ends because if you get if you get damage at any point in the cable in between those two fuses, you could have the fuse blow out at one end, but you've still got a source of power at the other end. So you actually need to you need to actually protect it at both ends. Um, same with solar panels coming in. If you've got a source of solar panels, say you've got you know 500 watts of solar, you know that's a big big system. But if you had you know quite a lot of solar on the roof, that's a lot of current that's coming in, um, and all it takes is for you know some damage to happen, whether it's haven't protected them properly with conduit or uh, gets caught up on a tree or, you know, just uh, vibration wear and tear over time, you can have a cable sitting there arcing out on, on a metal surface and uh, can very easily create a fire as well. So, you know, it's cheap protection. Every positive cable either leaving a power source, be it a battery or solar, or coming into a, a, a power source should be uh, fuse protected whether you use a fuse or whether you use a resettable circuit breaker, it doesn't really matter. But as long as you've got something that is of the appropriate size for the, the cable, so it's there to protect the cable, it's not there to protect the device or the appliance that you're actually powering on. Okay, that's that's great. And what bad advice do you hear about, you know, dual battery setups? Um, yeah, well, I guess that leads into yeah, what I just mentioned with the undersized cables. Voltage drop is a is a big problem for so many people with uh, dual battery systems. So with voltage drop, um, take a uh, a scenario where you've got a uh, your starting battery in the engine bay, and you have a caravan that you're towing, and you've got a cable that's running from the starting battery all the way to the battery that's in the say the front front boot of your caravan. You might have say ten meters of cable. Your alternator might be putting in 13.8 volts, 
uh, into the, the battery. But if you have a cable that's too small a size over a long distance, the voltage that's coming out the other end may, may be like 13 volts, for example, or even under 13 volts. You're trying to get a, a battery to charge at 14.4 volts. Um, you put it in 13.8, it's coming out the other end at, at 13. You're, you've got a long way to go with the conversion to, to then get it back up. Having too small a cable increases the voltage drop. So there's calculations that um, will tell you plenty of resources online and we can link some stuff in through to the podcast as well. Excellent. But increasing the size of the cable, um, the less voltage drop you, you'll get at the other end. So, Okay, so um, having a cable that's too thin decreases pretty much the, the power that's getting there, but also having it too long, it dissipates over the length of it. That's pretty much the gist. That's right. Yep. Okay, and... Just out of interest, I mean, if we're looking at putting in a dual battery setup, um, do you have a um, one of those DC to DC chargers running from your, you know, your, your car alternator and battery setup to a secondary battery? Does having a different battery sizes or battery types matter? Generally speaking, you know, ninety-nine percent of people are going to have a flooded battery as they as they starting or cranking battery. Um, what you have as a dual battery system, uh, a battery setup can be any other type of chemistry, just probably to, to provide clarity there. You can have any any other type, but as soon as you want to add a second battery to your auxiliary uh, system, then you really want to keep those the same. So I got you. So the, if it's on that dual battery setup system and you've got the DC-DC charger, that's okay to have you know like a deep cycle battery, but when you start banking those together, that's where they need to be the same. Yeah, that's right. Um, when the DC-DC charger is what's going to actually convert the current that it gets from the, the starting battery um, into the correct profile for what you have as you select in the settings for, for your auxiliary battery as well. But the, the battery chemistry is the is the key issue. So you wouldn't want to put a, a flooded battery with a, an AGM or a flooded battery with a with a lithium battery, for example. Always want to keep the chemistry the same if you're going to have multiple batteries in parallel or joined together. You also want to try and keep the size of the batteries as close to, you know, the same capacity as you can. So you wouldn't want to put a 100-amp-hour battery with a 200-amp-hour battery, for example. You know, if you had 120 and 130-amp-hour, then, you know, that's, that's going to be okay. But, yeah, you want to try and keep them as close as you can together. But the chemistry of the batteries is is where the, the really important piece is. Every chemistry of battery, every brand of battery is going to have a different voltage requirement for charging, different current input, um, and their charge profiles is always a little bit different. So you want to try and keep the brands as, as close as possible as you can, the chemistry as close, and the, the, the capacity uh, um, as close as you can. That's great. Now, all the research that you've done, obviously you're doing a lot of tinkering, I'm just. I'm pretty interested in hearing what your setup is personally. You know, how do you camp, and what? I'm imagining you've got a few bells and whistles in your vehicle. Look, we've we've probably got a lot more uh, stuff, I guess, on our car than you know, probably half a dozen people put together and <laughs> find on the weekend. I guess um, one because I, I guess I like playing with this sort of stuff. It's something of you know, it's a bit of a hobby of mine for many many years, and it's, uh, it's one of those things that I like to. To, to tweak and play with um, on a fairly regular basis, but also as part of our business as well. I guess we 12 volt is our business, and you know we're constantly testing new products, new new models, new um, prototypes, and stuff like that. So I guess we've got a, a, a lot more gear there to to facilitate those sorts of things. But we're we're also you know we like to camp 
you know, we like to go out bush or up the beach or whatever, but away from large groups of people, I guess, and um, try and be uh, remote, I guess. And uh, to do that, you need to have sufficient power, you need to have sufficient charging uh, sources. And that comes with having, at the moment, I've got, a, a I guess, a, a, a triple battery set up. I've got the, the cranky battery in the engine bay. I've got an auxiliary flooded battery in the engine bay as well. And then I've got a uh, lithium battery in the in the rear of the Troopy um, that, that's run off the DC-DC charger. Uh, it's a Red Arc BMS Manager 30, which has got the 240-volt input and takes the charge from the alternator, and it's also got solar control over the MPPT inputs as well. So sort of got the, the three different types of charging inputs uh, all in the one unit, and that, that charges the lithium battery. Uh, for there, we've got probably way too many uh, sockets uh, for what you'd probably think and look and think you'd need, but I don't know, there's probably about 10 or 12 uh, SIG sockets in there. <laughs> so you're going to have no troubles charging your phone? Yeah, well, that's right. Sometimes we're always uh, struggling to find enough ports with the amount of things that we've got plugged in and charging, <laughs> but whether it's phones or the kids' uh, kids' iPads or charging laptops for the business or, you know, head torches or cameras and all of those sorts of things. So we've got Anderson plugs all over the place. We've got about eight USB ports and, you know, then we've also got the uh, the 2,000-watt inverter that we, we use to run some of the high-output device, uh, devices as well. You know, we... I guess we've got a bit slack over the years and now we take a little Nespresso pod machine when we can't camp in now because we can and because it's easy and, um, you know, I guess we've got uh, plenty of solar as well, you know, 260 watts on a slide-out frame out the back and uh, we also take our 200-watt uh, uh, folding solar blanket as well with us as well if we ever need a little bit more if we're parked in the shade. So, yeah, we've got bits and pieces running all over the place. I'd hate to think what the weight extra is on the on the vehicle just for the excess cabling and <laughs> plugs and stuff. Yeah, that's what a Truby's for. You can carry lots of weight. It's all good. Excellent. And how can our listeners find out more about you and your business and uh, see your car in action? Uh, so we're based on the west coast in uh, in Perth, in Western Australia. So they can find us on uh, on our website on www.offroadliving.com. .com.au. We have a Facebook page as well uh, with the same name for Off-Road Living. Um, and we also have a, uh, a camping four-wheel drive and 12-volt uh, support group on Facebook as well to the Off-Road Living tribe. Anybody's welcome to join that. And, you know, it's somewhere where you can, you can post about anything to do with that sort of lifestyle, I guess. And if you've got questions or just want to post, you know, your journeys and your camping travels and share it with others, it's sort of there for, for whatever people want to do. So plenty of ways that people can get hold of us. And, um, yeah, our primary focus is on 12-volt products. So if uh, anybody's uh, in, in need of any 12-volt products, they can come to the website. Uh, we have uh, a range of our own products in the AllSpark range. AllSpark is our own brand that we've developed and produced products over the last couple of years. Uh, we, we, we spent a, a very large amount of months on testing prototypes in in australia in off-road conditions we torture test everything before we uh bring things to market and make sure that they're going to be reliable they're going to perform the way that they promised to do so and they'll they'll last you for many years to come um whether it's solar panels uh, folding blankets flexible panels uh for you know caravans and boats uh we do lithium batteries and generators and inverters and jump starters and 
you know, all of those sort of good things. We're also um, authorised resellers for a lot of the other sort of major brands in Enerdrive and Red Arc, uh, Projector, Victron, uh, Intervolt, um, and and a number of others. So anything that people are after, if they uh, um, need help with those things or they just want advice or they want help to work out what their power demands are going to be, yeah, throw us a line and get in touch with us through any of those means and, um, yeah, we can we can help you whether you're just getting started or you're looking to upgrade or you, you just need a bit of help in the way. Yeah, we, we're here to help and we're always available uh, seven days a week. And I think one of the one of the key things is, you know, rather than just jumping online and just going out and buying, you know, device X, you know, have been able to speak to someone like yourself who will be able to ask those questions like, you know, what type of camping are you going to do? What device are you going to be running? But also how long are you going to be stopping for versus how long are you going to be driving? I can understand why, you know, people should go to, <laughs> go, to go to your group and ask those questions first and, um, you know, then have a look at your products as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you, you, so, you get so much advice online. Unfortunately, in social media these days, it's advice is very easily accessible. But what works for somebody else um, in, in their scenario is not always going to work for you. And it's important that, um, you know, the, the, the products you get are tailored for your t- style of camping um, and not for somebody else's. And, you know, that's where we come in. We can help you to work through that minefield of uh, advice that, doesn't always necessarily apply to what you want and uh, we'll, we'll help you. Great. We'll yeah. link to your website, your Facebook page and your group in the show notes. So thank you very much, Jason. Thank you for listening to a big peachy adventure of families travelling full time. What drives us is hearing of those we've inspired to simplify their life and take the first step towards their travelling goals. So please... If you get any value from what we're doing, the biggest reward we could ask is that you share this podcast with your travelling buddies. Don't forget to click subscribe and also please leave us a review. Five stars hopefully, but if not, that's okay. Please leave a comment and let us know what we can do better. If you'd like to connect with us personally or have any questions, you can find us on Facebook at A Big Peachy Adventure. See you on the road and happy travels.